Hello and welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below average podcaster chats with an above average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget B. Today's guest has really been around the baseball diamond. Dario Pisano played in the Little League World Series when he was young, grew up and went on to play Division I baseball at Columbia University, and is currently a professional baseball player in the minor league system. We're going to hear all about his journey. Dario, thanks for coming on the show. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I can say with confidence that your name is the most Italian name I've had on the show so far. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, nice little Italian boy. My parents, uh, my brother's name is Donato and my sister's name is Gianna. So they really went the Italian route. Wow, that's very Italian. You might have the least Italian name, actually, out of those three. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, actually. <laughs> so you grew up in Saugus, Massachusetts, which is about 20 minutes outside of Boston. How'd you like growing up in that area? Um, I loved it. It's a... So it's like a little small town outside of Boston. It's like seven miles north and uh, had a, a tight-knit community. And um, I had a very close, I'm still very close with my family growing up. And uh, I had a very good group of friends who we'll get into, like our, my teammates on the Little League World Series team. We played together um, in all different sports uh, growing up since we were like five years old. So, and even when I go home for the holidays around Boston, I still see them when I go home now. And that's like, we've been friends for over 20 years. So yeah, I really liked it. It's close enough to go see the Red Sox. I was, I had season tickets one year to the Celtics. I'm a huge diehard Tom Brady, obviously Patriots fan. Hopefully he stays, uh, doesn't <laughs> go anywhere else. Cause I'll be devastated. But, um, yeah, huge, unbelievable, unbelievably lucky fan base um, as an athlete and a sports um, fan to grow up around that city, and it was uh, it was amazing. Yeah, honestly, you guys win too much. You nah, got to give some back, I, heard, I think. <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta admit, if I was a fan of any other team in other towns, I would be pretty ready for all these dynasties to end too. Trust me, I, <laughs> I can, I can imagine what it's like. <laughs> And did you ever vacation in either Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard? Um, my grandparents actually had a, a beach house in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It's right before the Cape, uh, but it was like um, Manomet Beach Shores. It was they they had their own private beach, so we were right around the Cape Cod in the summers, and not Manhattan, uh, not Nantucket in Martha's Vineyard, but right near there. Okay, nice. Yeah, I'm dying to go on a trip to that area. It looks really pretty. Oh, it's amazing. I was actually just at a wedding for one of my college teammates in September and on Martha's Vineyard. It was the most beautiful wedding I've been to. It was crazy. Nice. So how old were you when you got into baseball? Um, four years old is when I started playing, like, coach pitch. Um, never played t-ball, but um, I was into baseball. There's a picture of me that I I saw my mom's Facebook. She posted, I think, every year for my for my birthday. It's me and like I'm like one or two years old with my underwear, having holding a bat. Like it's just I've always I've always been an un, like a huge sports fan, but baseball has been my number one. They have pictures of me like in my crib with a base, a soft baseball, and my grandfather, my late grandfather, actually he was in the fifties, the bat boy for the Red Sox when Ted Williams was on the team. Um, wow. so he knew him. Yeah. I actually have his, the whole 1951 Red Sox team, all their black, uh, black and white photos saying like to Billy, um, 
thanks for shining my shoes, kid, Ted Williams, you know, something like that. And I had the whole team he gave them to me. Uh, so, so we were deep. I was deeply rooted with baseball and he would, him and my grandmother would watch us. They were like our babysitters when my parents were. Um, and my grandfather would take me to a park down the street and he would just pitch me underhand like uh, this, this little frog ball. It was like a little ball with frog legs coming out of it. And it was like the bat was like a paddle. So I used to, he taught me how to hit that way. That's where, why to this day, my number is nine. He taught me Ted Williams was the best hitter who ever lived and he knew him. So I wear number nine and I was, he made me be a lefty. So that's why I'm a lefty hitter. Oh, wow. That's a great story. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And you mentioned that you played other sports. Uh, what were they? Um, I played basketball through high school and I played soccer until I was like 10. Then it started clashing with baseball. Same, uh, the scheduling started taking over and baseball took over. So once I got to about 10, I stopped playing soccer, but basketball and baseball through, through high school. Yeah. That makes sense since a lot of fall ball happens in baseball. So you had to pick that over soccer. Absolutely. So you had quite the summer when you were 12 in 2003. You were on the Saugus Little League team that not only made it to the Little League World Series, but you guys made it all the way to the U.S. Championship game. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy to have already had that much success at only 12 years old. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Even 15, 16 years later, looking back on it, I mean, it's crazy. Like every August, I'm like, I mean, every, every baseball fan, a lot of people tune in, but every August I like have to tune in and watch it. And I'm in season now, so it's tougher. But like after BP, I watch the games. It's amazing. It it really, like I said, to this second, it's something so surreal. Like when I look back on it and I have all the, the games on DVD and my room is like this little mini shrine. Like I came home one day and my parents surprised me. They like, my room at my house, which I don't live there anymore, but it's still up. Like they, all the different newspaper articles, my jerseys in the frame, my bat, the glove, my hat, all the, all the good stuff. Pictures with, with uh, professional athletes that they, we got to go see after, and the Cheerios box we were featured on in New England, and the ESPY award pictures that we were nominated for. Um, it was. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. It's, it's so crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah it was the best summer of my life, obviously. Wow. And, I mean, you say that we're going to get into more of your success, which you've had a lot of, and you can still think back to when you were 12 and have those feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's still whenever I go to a new team or whenever I go on an, in a new organization, whatever, my whole life is like, you're on that you're on that little league team, you know, like, yeah, I was in the little league world series. And it's still a talking point. People that are 30, 31, they're like, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah, it truly is. When I think back on it and all the, the cool stuff, I mean, we got to experience and all the, the different organizations and the Red Sox had us for a game and we were at the Celtics had us for a game. I mean, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. It was like we were so many celebrities at 12 years old, and I honestly like loved just getting a taste of it. I, I did, <laughs> and I loved being able to succeed at that level, like playing on ESPN and on ABC with the, I was 36, 37,000 fans were at the game when we were in the U.S. championship, um, and unfortunately we lost. But there were millions of people watching 
on TV and we knew the cameras were in our face and I just loved that added pressure. I don't know. That's what, I mean, I played all these sports and at 12, you know, I want to be an NBA player. I want to be an MLB player. But I remember at 12 years old consciously after that happening, thinking this is 100% not like, Oh, I just want to be an astronaut. I want to be an MLB. No, this is what I'm going to work to at 12 to get back to this pinnacle at the next level, like the big leagues. So that was when I, I loved every second of it and I loved being on top of what I love to do, like being in the 1% people that could never get to that level. And uh, it was what was the driving force when I was 12 years old. It was the first thing. Wow. So that really fueled your dream of becoming a big leaguer. Absolutely. And yet Williamsport sounds so cool. Obviously the celebrity of it, you're living in dorms. You're not with your parents. You also get to meet Mm -hmm. players, not only from other teams, but from other countries, you get new uniforms. And as you said, every game is on TV. Yeah, no, it it was such a cool little uh, setup they had for us. It was called the Grove and it's like, it's almost like bunks. Like our team, our whole team. I mean, it's like a kid's dream at 12 years old, right? We were all best friends anyway. And, uh, we lived in we lived in a dorm where our whole team and all the coaches were in like a, a big room, and we our neighbors. I remember in the Little League World Series, we lived above the the Boynton Beach, Florida team, who ended up we beat them, um, but they knocked us out on the U. They're the ones who beat us in the U.S. Championship. We beat them in like pool play. They do double elimination now, which if we played in it now, we would have got a a game three against them, but. Back then, it was pool play and then single elimination. But they beat us. But we were hanging out with them, like, all week. We were friendly with them. Um, And then the the team next to us was the Latin American team, which was from Venezuela that year. We were, like, friendly with them. I mean, these are memories, like, I'm still recalling. I I remember everything, and this is 16 years later. And then that whole grove, they had, like, a game room. There was ping pong in there, like, arcade games in there. And then one of the biggest things that – um, the Little League World Series has is like they have pins, like pin trading. I was huge with that. Like all the teams have their team pin, and you like to trade them, and you you trade all with like all different people there, and you get one of each team, and you get. I had a pin book with. I still have it somewhere in my attic where I have like a Curacao pin and Florida pin and Venezuela, you know. So it, there's so many cool things. There was like a big pool too. Of course, we had to get our practice in first, but. Mm-hmm. We're 12 years old and it's the summer and middle school kids still going to do what middle school kids do. Like even <laughs> in the, in the barracks, in our little dorm room, we were playing like mini knee baseball. We, we were coming off the field from practice and going back in and with like a little Nerf ball and a mini bat, we're still playing more baseball. So <laughs> it, it was, uh, every single thing about it was awesome. And like I said, our, those, I mean, I'm sure all those teams are close, but our, our team we were, we were playing on like a travel team all year round since we were eight years old. Um, we were playing like 11 and 12 year old teams when we were eight and we were playing and beating them, you know, in fall ball. And then we went to Cooperstown, the Cooperstown tournament when we were 10 and 11 and we played against like state all-star teams and we were half of one city going there. So like half of one town. Um, and we were competing and it was, there was the first, like, first understanding of, wow, we're, we're a really good team. And um, 
Yeah, and we were actually supposed to go back to Cooperstown when we were 12, but we obviously we kept making it further and further, and we went to the Little League World Series. So <laughs> that was a pretty cool trade-off. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure that team chemistry that you guys grew up with helped you in the Little League World Series. A hundred percent. I mean, we trusted each other. We knew, I mean, every athlete can talk about how important team chemistry is. And we, we had that at 12 years old where there was no pressure. We were so good and we knew everyone on our team was going to do their job. Um, that if, if say if I failed and got out one at bat, I knew the guy behind me was going to pick me up. And that's still something that professionals say about having team chemistry now. And that was, we had no, doubt that we were going to win and everyone was going to do their part. So yeah, it was huge. And what position did you play? Um, I was the center fielder on that team. Nice. Important position. Yeah. 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 And I'm always impressed when those cold weather teams do really well, because you expect the teams from states like California, Texas, and Florida to be successful because they can play all year round. Obviously in Massachusetts, there's a thing called winter. So I'm very impressed when those teams can uh, not only keep up with them, but beat those teams. Yeah, there's always a little disadvantage, a slight disadvantage. They they get to play all year round, like you said. But um, in the fall, we played with Under Armour on and and extra long sleeve shirts on. So we made it work. And then in the winter, the place where I actually still, when I'm home, train to this day, it's called Strike One. And um, they used to be two little indoor clay fields, and they would we were actually in like an indoor league in the, during the winter too. So we found ways to always be playing. Yeah, it was whatever it took uh, to get out there. And of course, during the spring and the summer, we had our team. But yeah, we we still found a way to play all year round when we were eight, nine, ten, eleven. That must be a pretty big facility if it was fitting a baseball field in it. Yeah, it's a huge indoor, it's now turf, but it used to be like clay with two little league fields on it. And uh, it wasn't as big as it seemed. It's not like two huge fields. It was, and there was an infield and a mini outfield. And if you hit it into the net, it was like an automatic double. But at least we were getting to play something. We were hitting a baseball coming at us and fielding ground balls or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was better than being in the snow or not playing at all. So we had to make do with what we got in New England. (laughs) And we have to talk about the semifinal game. It's considered one of the best games in Little League World Series history. It was even nominated for an ESPY, as you mentioned before, but your your pal Tom Brady beat you guys out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that is... uh, So again, like I, I briefly mentioned, but like after the World Series, we lost and it was, oh no, but... The amount of things that we got to do that summer, the whole next year, even in the next summer, because it was the next summer we went to the ESPY Awards, um, the Red Sox had us for a, a game where we went on the – first we, we rang the Boston Stock Exchange bell, which none of us at that point knew what that meant. You know, that was like, <laughs> what? why can't we just go to Fenway? You know, like, what are we, what are we doing? But so we have pictures – and then the day before, I think we met Mitt Romney when he was governor. So oh, wow. we all got to go to the state house. And that was something, again, that I was like, who is this tall guy? Like, I don't really care. I, I just want to go <laughs> see the Red Sox tomorrow, right? Um, so we go to the game, and Grady Little was the manager. And uh, we got to go on the field. 
and, t- and we were in their locker room and we were with them for BP. I got everybody's autograph. That was the team in 03. They had Nomar on their team, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Pedro. Pedro Martinez actually, there's a picture of me in the Globe, Boston Globe, where he was like doing and taking pictures and signing autographs and he let me put his glove on. And I like was like doing a fake wind up because I could play to the camera always even when I was young, but I knew they were taking pictures. But it was. It was amazing. I got autographs from the whole team. Johnny, I, uh, we got to throw out the first pitch to our position, whatever position we played. And Johnny Damon was a center fielder. And uh, I got to throw out the first pitch to him. And Bill Miller, who actually won the batting title that year randomly in the AL and American League, he gave me his bat. Like, he gave me one of his bats, signed it. And uh, I have that, too. So just things like that. Like I said, we got to go to the Celtics game and, and all these different banquets we had and we were Boston rising stars. They have, it's been like the 15th annual last year. And we were, it was us, Paul, Paul Pierce hosted the event and uh, we got, yeah. So anyway, going to the ESPYs the next year, um, we all heard about, we heard the rumblings of it. It was, we're like, what, you know, like we saw that we were potentially one of the finalists for nomination and we heard the buzz. I couldn't even, I couldn't even (laughs) believe that. And we ended up getting the nomination, and it was um, like a, an Elite Eight game, St. Joe's versus Oklahoma State. And then it was the Yankees-Red Sox game where Aaron Boone hit the home run to go to the World Series. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots-Panthers Super Bowl and us. And uh, so, yeah, like you said, Brady, my buddy, my buddy Tom Brady, <laughs> beat, beat us out for the best game of the year. But he got up, we met them on the red carpet before, and – Funny thing was, we were only, we had just we we're all 13 at the time, and they had a pre a pre SB award party at the Playboy Mansion, hosted by <laughs> Hugh Hefner. We weren't oh allowed God. to go. We weren't allowed to go, obviously. But our coaches went, and they like talked to LeBron James. That was actually after his rookie year. Carmelo Anthony was there, wow. and um, yeah, so the Patriots were there, and they talked to Brady, and Brady, well, he was, I mean. Everyone who hates on him, I don't understand because they think it's an act maybe, but he was, they said he was the, genuinely the nicest guy ever. And when they accepted the award, he actually got up there and like said his thank yous. And then how about that Saugus Little League team from the Boston area? He shouted us out. So, Oh, that's that awesome. Whole, yeah. You know, on the red carpet, I mean, met T.O., met Dwight Howard, all these Brady, like I said, all these people that were there. I mean, it was uh, – Again, getting goosebumps looking back on it now and couldn't fully really take it all in and understand when I was 13 um, when, what was going on. But it was an outcast, like was the Jamie Foxx hosted and outcast was the the um, band that finished the at the end of the show. So it was something so crazy, even thinking back on it now. Wow. Were you were you in a tuxedo? Uh, they made us, our parents made us wear just button-down shirt and tie. We didn't have to wear a suit. But okay. We, should, we probably should have worn a little suit. <laughs> probably on the red carpet getting interviewed by Linda Cohen on SportsCenter with no suit on. So whatever. <laughs> I think people forgive us for that. We were young. Yeah, you guys are young. Yeah. But the game you were nominated for was truly incredible. You played Richmond, Texas in a high-scoring affair that went into extra innings. I want to give you the floor to describe that game as I'm sure you remember it well. 
Um, yeah, sure. I could tell you probably right now I could rattle off the whole game every play, but, um, <laughs> that game was insane. Um, obviously semifinal game to go to the next round in the championship game for the U S we jumped out early. We, we had their number. Uh, we had our, our ace on the mound. Um, I think it was like the fourth inning, third or fourth inning. We had a big inning. We go up eight to two and then we get 10. We, we go, Oh, we had seven to two, I think. And then one of my buddies who hit behind me hit a three run homer. That was like, we thought that was the icing on the cake. It's 10 to two, six inning game in little league. And it was like the fourth inning. And uh, we had our ace in the mound. Well, you know, slowly they creep back. It's like 10, four as, as an athlete, even at 12, it was 10-5, and they had men on base, and there was one out. And I remember being in center field thinking, like, uh, you know, you could feel the momentum start to shift. I mean, there's, you know, and then they kept battling, and they shut us down the last couple innings. And they literally, we still had it going into the last inning. It was 10-6, and they battled back. We were the home team, so they battled back in the top of the sixth, and they tied it. Two outs, two strikes. They tied it. We got off the field. The next kid they put in struck out the side, and then they come up and scored three off of our second-best pitcher. So we were, you know, 12 years old. You always see it. Oh, my people, like the Little League kids crying on TV. You know, we they shot to the dugout, and we had, like, some of our guys on our bench crying. We thought it was over. Uh-huh. And we had this little guy the inning, and we come up, and we had, like, 8-9-1 coming up, and we had a little – talk our manager brought us in and said hey like no matter what happens you know i love you guys it's been a hell of a summer uh i'll never forget it and you guys love one another and go out there and fight to the last thoughts made and that's what we did and it's incredible uh incredible we put up four and then that last play tied we tied it up and there's three two two outs the most you know climactic set up for such a climactic end and then it's like a swinging bunt down the third baseline <laughs> and my buddy who was the kid who I'm still friends with like I said he Dave he's the fastest kid on our team and he like hesitated thinking it's supposed to go foul and it rolled back there and he beat it out and I scored the run and it was pandemonium I, I remember at 12 like being it was so loud in that stadium I couldn't I remember it being like people describing that to me before. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. I'll be able to hear the person next to me. And that was like the first time where like 30,000 people were screaming because of the game. And, and I couldn't even hear it. I, I couldn't even fathom what was going on. It didn't even hit me at first, but it was, yeah, it was that game drained us and actually took our two best pitchers away for the next game. So we were in a little bit of a hole when it came to advancing, but I would do not, I would do anything. I would not do anything to switch. Like it, that game was, like you said, it, it's on every single year before the little league road series on like ESPN classic. They have like the 10 best little league games and they play them and it's on every single year in August and people put it on Facebook. Remember this? And like it's on. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, truly an unbelievable game. And I believe you got the TV interview after the game, didn't you? <laughs> I uh, I got I got it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think I had like three or four hits that game, and then I scored the winning run. And 
I was, I didn't even know what I was saying. I remember being like <laughs> in complete shock, but I think I held it together pretty good uh, from being on ABC at that moment. <laughs> yeah, be, Sam Ryan yeah. interviewed me. <laughs> yeah, being 12, having all that, the, all those emotions. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, no, it, it was good though. Um, it was awesome. I loved, like I said, I loved all that stuff and our, our summer was, and our dreams were still alive. So it was, it was such a, up and down game, this wave of emotions at 12 and yeah, it was crazy. And what did your coach say to you guys after you lost in the championship to Boynton beach? Uh, it was similar to, it was just like, we went out to the outfield and took a knee and he was just kind of like guys like, I mean, again, it was such a sad ending to such an unbelievable summer one game away from going to the world championship game. And, and we had already beat that team earlier in the tournament and, you know, everyone's upset and uh, tears coming down and knowing that it's over, this unbelievable ride is over. And he just saying, like I said, guys, like you're insane. I know it hurts now, but you guys are crazy to ever hang your head. Like this is something, a little town of Saugus, like you put them back on the map. You guys came in, you know, fourth in the world. Think about that. And like, I'll never, ever forget this. We'll be bonded, like, for the rest of our lives with this team. And you, you've given me, like, one of the best experiences in my life. Our man, our coaches are 40-year-old men, and they're saying this has been the best thing they've ever gone through. So, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was sad, but it was, obviously, it was sad at that point. And no matter what anyone said, it wasn't going to really, like, take away the pain at that moment, but it was it made it feel a little bit better anyway. And when you really get some perspective, 12 year olds don't really have that broad perspective yet. But once, you know, a week after it happened, you start thinking about like, wow, like this was something that I couldn't even imagine. We didn't even know how a month before that, we didn't even know how to get to the little league world series. Like I didn't even know. We knew that we were in the all-star tournament or whatever in the summer, but we didn't, I, we always watched the Little League World Series, and I was always like, how do, how do you get to that? Is that just like another Cooperstown? I never really understood. And we won the state championship. And then our coach was like, guys, do you realize if you win this next tournament, you go to Little League World No one knew. We didn't know. Honestly, we didn't know how to. We just were playing with each other and playing for the, for the town, and we didn't know that that's, if you kept advancing, you advanced there. So it was a wild ride. Yeah, and obviously your coach was right. You know, you have some perspective 15, 16 years later. It's still one of the best memories of your life. A hundred percent. Yep. So life goes on. You guys move up to the big diamond. When high school comes around, you attend Malden Catholic and where you played four years of varsity baseball. And you also played basketball, as you mentioned. Did you play with or against anyone that was on your little league team in high school? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I was, it was me, our first baseman, um, and uh, one of our infielders, we went to that, my same high school, Malden Catholic, and we played with each other. And then we played against, I mean, a handful of the guys went to Saugus High School, our, our public high school. We never actually played against them in the season. 
but we would like in the summers, in the summer, like in the summer, we all were on the same team. So uh, through high school, we all played on the big diamond 13 through 15. We played like Babe Ruth and like that all-star tournament. And then in high school, in the summers, we played American Legion baseball. We were all on the same team. So again, like that bond, we had it. And that's why we stayed friends. You know, we, we still played with each other every single spring and summer. And, uh, yeah, so we're never able to get away from each other, which wasn't a bad thing, but it, it, it was, uh, we were, we stayed tight knit the whole time. Oh, that's so nice. So at Malden Catholic, you had a lot of personal success there. You were a two-year captain, the Catholic conference player of the year, a first team Massachusetts all-star. You led the league in batting as a junior and a senior. So obviously, college wanted you to come play for them. So what mm-hmm. schools were really recruiting you? Um, yeah, so uh, the Ivy, a lot of the Ivy League schools were looking at me because I was, I was a pretty good student in high school. I knew how important that would be, so I always really took pride in, in doing that. That was taught by my parents. Like They were saying to me, like, never put yourself in a position where a school would want you, but you couldn't you couldn't get in there. Like, don't let, don't ever cross off anything on the list because, because of academics or something like that. So I was, I was always primed by my parents to do well in school and how, how important that would be. Um, so all the Ivy League schools and like Boston college, UMass Amherst, uh, Holy Cross, uh, the, the New England, a lot of Bryant university, a lot of New England schools were on me and um, Boston college, that was that would have been awesome if I could could have gone there in ACC school. I was really into that and thinking like that's the higher level of Division One baseball. But the they said like, oh, if you come here, we have seven outfielders right now, so you would you'd be on our team, but you'd have to you wouldn't be able to compete for a spot until your sophomore year, and you might get some playing time. When I heard that, I was like. All right, not going to go there. But Coach Coach Beretti at Columbia, um, he's a Massachusetts guy, born and raised from Beverly, Mass. And um, I actually played in a tournament in high school where my high school coach and the other coach was the Linfield High School coach. And two of his players had gone to Columbia from Linfield. So he had that connection. He knew the head coach at Columbia real well. And he, we were on that, that Bay State game team, and he knew that I was a good student and was getting recruited. And he said, have you ever heard of Columbia? I, at that point, I hadn't even heard of Columbia. That's me, right? I knew all the other Ivy League schools I didn't even know. He said, well, he started telling me about it. Are you interested? I said, oh, my God, in New York City? Yeah, yeah definitely. July 1st, my junior year, that's like the day that schools can call. I think it's changed by now since I'm ancient now. But that was 10, 12 <laughs> years ago. But July 1st, 9.48 a.m., I remember, like, Coach Beretti, my mom came running around the corner. Like, it was my first call, like, and it was Coach Beretti from Columbia. Right away, he was, like, on it. Every He would email me. He would call me and once a week asking how I was doing. He came and saw my game. They let me know that they really wanted me. So that, that was important too. Um, yeah. So I fell in love with Columbia. Um, 
and I went there on my on, a, on my visit um, the fall of my senior year in college for a weekend. And I actually, it was really narrowed down at that point between Columbia and Holy Cross in Worcester, Mass. Um, and I was actually scheduled to go on a visit the next weekend to Holy Cross. And I talked to the coach and he was like, you know, don't, don't make a rash decision. Give us a chance. You know, I know you like Columbia, like we'll show you a good time when you're here and you'll love it here. I said, Oh, I won't. Well, the second I got there and the weekend I spent there at Columbia, I knew right away that that's where I was going. So Mm -hmm. I verbally committed when I was there (laughs) and I had to make an awkward phone call to the coach of Holy Cross who at the moment was very happy when I decided that I told him that I wasn't going to the visit next week and I was going to Columbia, but I understood. And he was, he was great. We played them every year in college and he would always have a good laugh about it with me after, but uh, yeah. So yeah, it was no looking back from there. Yeah. And honestly with college, when you know, you know, right. I mean, you're on the campus, you're with the team, you just have that feeling and you got to go with it. Yeah, it was amazing. Like when I, on my weekend, the, at that time, the baseball team had a house. The whole team lived in a six-story brownstone right off the campus. Okay. Uh, it was a frat house. Yeah, so it was. <laughs> oh, it was ridiculous. We were actually ZBT, uh, the National Jewish Fraternity. We were a fraternity, and that's how we were able to get like the best housing on campus. So it was unbelievable. We stayed in a house like off campus, and that was my weekend there with the team and I felt like a part of the team right away. And I remember telling the guys on the team who were probably looking at me like, okay, recruit, like shut up. But uh, I was like, I'm coming here a hundred percent. I love this place, you know, but yeah, I knew it. I knew it from the first night I was there. I can't imagine how dirty that house must have been having a baseball team full of 18 to 21 year old boys. Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, we kept up with it. Uh, we had to because we would have got violations if we didn't. And we did. We were on probation sometimes by Greek life. But we always skated by. And we had people cleaning up the house and all that stuff. But, yeah, it was it was a great college baseball house. Let's just say that. <laughs> all right. I think I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And how hard was it balancing an Ivy League education with a Division One sport? Because both are very time-consuming. Yeah, that was that was a big adjustment that I that a lot of people have to make. But um, so at my high school that I went to, I always took you know I had a, I had a tough schedule. It was, it was a pretty hard high school. They they were very good in in preparing us for college workloads. Um, I actually had more like busy work and nightly high school uh, nightly homework in high school with having something to do in every subject. But it was definitely an adjustment. You go to Columbia first off you're on your own and you have no one telling you like, even though I was 18 and a senior in high school, my parents were like, you're not going out until you do your homework. Like something, something as basic as that. And then it was completely independent and it was on me to do my work. And again, I always worked really hard, like all year round, but then you go to college and with baseball, it's a full all year round. It just cause it's fall ball, but you have four practices a week. We had three lifts a week, conditioning, it wasn't just, oh, yeah, I got to the gym. It was structured practices all year round. So it was managing that and then learning. You know, there, there's, a, there's an ex- 
a very expensive core at Columbia. That's why a lot of people go there. So we had to take a variety of different um, classes ranging in all different subjects that we had to hit the hit check mark the core classes. So that was tough the first couple of years. And then trying to figure out your major and also trying to succeed on the field, it was hard. But the older guys in the team were really helpful. The guys who had taken certain professors and said, hey, like, this professor understands that you're a student athlete and you have other obligations, so they're lenient with, like, you can have an extension on a paper. And you have to learn the little ins and outs of the scheduling and what classes to take and what professors to take. And then we had an unbelievable, um, like, advisor. that Her name was Jackie Blackett. She helped all the athletes with scheduling around practice times and game times and helping us with our majors. And it was such an advantage because I don't think without her, I would never have been able to figure all that stuff out. But uh, it was definitely a tough adjustment to make, but you get the hang of it and you kind of take classes with your teammates and other athletes and you coordinate and make study guides and you just got to learn like the ins and outs of of it. But it was, it was tough at first. Yeah. And uh, as far as baseball, your freshman year in 2010, you have an incredible start to your career. You're co-rookie of the year in the Ivy League, first-team Ivy League, All-American. You hit 12 home runs, which was, at the time, a Columbia freshman record. It still might be. So you handle yeah. that transition to the baseball field very well. Yeah. Um, I always had this, like, chip on the shoulder type thing. I went in there as a freshman, and one thing – like I had mentioned before when I was getting recruited, what BC had told me, you know, you might compete as a sophomore. One thing Coach Beretti said was like, hey, you come in here. He's like, I don't care what class you are. If you're going to help us win, and I think you will, there's a spot open for you as a freshman. You're going to have to prove it, but you have that, you have an opportunity to play freshman year. And I, and I said, all right, let's go. And I went in there, and I had a very good fall right away against our team you know, inner squad games and, and I did well. And then that went into winter where we were doing hitting, uh, hitting sessions like inside and I was doing well. And then preseason, I did really well. And then we opened up at UNLV in Vegas for our first, and I, and I had a good series. I got the first, my first collegiate at that was a check swing foul out pop up to the third baseman. And I said, Oh my God, this is what my college <laughs> career is going to be. Uh-huh. And then I, got up there and hit a double my next at bat and that kind of was like okay like I am good you know like I can do this and then you know the first half of that year I was still kind of making adjustments because I was very good in high school but every level you jump up it's a huge transition to division one baseball and we were playing we played Virginia Tech my freshman year like really good teams and on our spring trip even though our spring trip we went to Virginia it was just as cold I don't know why we went there but anyway we played them (laughs) and got the doors blown off and it was like guys who got drafted and another level that I had to make an adjustment to. And I was playing, but I, I didn't have my confidence a hundred percent. And I was kind of second guessing myself. Do I belong? I have to prove to my teammates that as a freshman, I, I have to do this and I have to prove that I belong in the lineup. And it was like midway through the year, almost exactly halfway through the year. And I, I was playing and I was doing, I was doing all right. I was hitting like 260 at that point, and we came off of a bus from a, an away game, and the captain, the senior captain catcher, 
And one of my, to this day, one of my really close friends who actually lived in Hoboken and who was that guy from Massachusetts who played on the Linfield team where the coach said one of his players was he was the captain outfielder. They took me into the locker room after the game and sat me down and had, as the captains are like, you don't have to prove anything to us. Like, go out there and play free. Had this little, like, unbelievable talk with me saying, you've already earned the right to be here. Don't press and don't and stop trying to prove that we know you belong out there and we know you're going to help us win. And from that little conversation on the second half of the year, I just, something clicked and it was actually the day um, when I got to go back home and play Harvard my freshman year. We played in Cambridge at Harvard and my whole family, all my friends, um, my extended family, people that I went to high school with, they were all at the game and, uh, in a double header, I went like eight for 10 with three homers and like three doubles. And I never looked back after that game. It was like the coming out party, so to speak. And I was like the national player of the week that week. So that was kind of like, a, wow, I really do belong. And after that, it was, I had success the rest of that season. Wow. Quite the homecoming. <laughs> it was, it was awesome. <laughs> eight for yeah, 10. It was, it was it was a great day. We won both games. It was it was great. It seems like after you stopped putting so much pressure on yourself, you kind of just freed yourself up to just play. Exactly, and that's still the issue that I have to this second. Even though I've overcome that at every level multiple times, and we're human, so we still put pressure on ourselves and our own our our own worst enemies um, sometimes. So oh well, that's what it exactly. is. Human nature. Yeah, exactly. We we overthink it. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. So your sophomore and junior years, you see similar success, including winning Ivy League Player of the Year in 2012. That had to be quite the honor. Yeah, that was that was it was awesome because um, I had a very good summer leading into that year, and that's when I kind of got noticed by like professional scouts, and I went to because I was playing in the New England Collegiate Baseball League, which is a very good league with wood bats, and it's playing against the best talent from all over the world. All over is the that country, the Cape sorry. Cod League? Uh, it's, it's not the Cape League. It was, it's another league that's like right below in, in terms of talent, how, how challenging it is. But it was, okay. I got to live at home because the team I was on was in Lynn, Massachusetts, at, at a field that I'd played at my whole life growing up in tournaments. So I got to live at home, which was a huge advantage, two years in a row, actually, my freshman summer and sophomore summer. Um, and I actually had a, had a tough adjustment to that league my freshman summer. We won the championship, but I went back there the next year, and I just I did really well on my second time around in that league. And I got noticed by some scouts. I started getting letters from teams because I was junior eligible to get drafted the next year. Um, and the Mariners, from day one, were the team that were, you know, right on me. Their their area scout Brian Nichols came to a couple of my games, and he gave me an invitation to a a local pre-draft, like a like a local workout for the New England area for like their guys that they had their eye on for the next draft. So I went there and I had a very good showing there when they kept following me. And then that winter, my junior year, he did a home visit. He actually came to my house one night over winter break and like 
talk to me and where they viewed me and they wanted, they were very interested. And all the Mariners were number one that were interested, but I was getting letters. My coach was getting letters to his office from numerous. I think there were about 16 to 15 to 20 teams that had sent questionnaires and letters and had called. So I had a, going into that season, I knew that there was a good chance. And again, it was that, wow, like it was, I kind of had to stay level and not press too much to try to go out and do too much because I knew that at every one of my games, there were going to be scouts they were watching. Um, yeah, so it ended up working out really well. I was the player of the year, and unfortunately, we never won an Ivy League championship while I was there. We lost in the championship my freshman year, and then kind of we kind of just missed out the next couple of years. We kind of underperformed as a team with a lot of talent. But, um, yeah, I got drafted, and another day that I'll never, ever, ever forget, and it's actually my grandmother actually posted it on YouTube. I didn't even know until after, but it's still on YouTube the second I got drafted. It was one of the most hectic days that ended up being the best, like one of the best days of my life. Um, it was like started at 1230 that day, day two of the draft. And it was from rounds two to 15 and I got drafted in the 15th round. So for like seven hours, oh, wow. I had all, yeah, I had my family and my girlfriend, girlfriend there and some of my closest friends and we were like eating snacks and eating and ready and every round would go by and I wouldn't get drafted. And <laughs> it's a long day. Yeah, it was a long, long day wait. where I started to freak out where I'm like calling my agent and like, hey, what's going on? He's like, sit tight, sit tight. And I, their last pick, the Mariners, the last pick of that day, they drafted me. So it was all this anxiety and tension building up for a great, a great moment when it finally happened. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That moment must have been incredible. Yeah, it was like, I knew right away that there was, still a, a long road that was by no means the pinnacle and there was a long road in the minor leagues but that was a s- huge step where like a culmination of years and years of hard work and like we talked about a lot earlier being a being a good player from the northeast where it's like you get almost no respect or it's like yeah but you're from the northeast there's not great baseball there and like kind of always being doubted and i was like a 511 corner outfielder with didn't run that fast, didn't throw that hard in the outfield, but I could always hit, yeah, you're a good player. It was all that. It was, I cried. It was one of the only times that I, like, cried out of pure joy. Like, I never quite understood when people did that until that moment, and then it was like my way of, my emotions just came out, all the hard work to get to that next level was, uh, it was crazy. It was, it was unbelievable, yeah. That's really sweet. And you got drafted as a junior, so you technically had another year at Columbia if you wanted it. Was that a mm-hmm. hard decision to make? Um, yeah, I, I think it was, it, was, it was hard in when the sense when it was like I loved my coach. I loved my players. Those are, I love my teammates. Those are my best friends, you know, like especially my class, my graduating class when we came in, we were so close. And to this second, like, we are with each other every weekend. Those are who haven't moved away yet. But those who live in New York, we're still best friends. Like, um, so uh, knowing, like, I was going to leave them, but I 
they had drafted me in a high enough round and offered me enough of a signing bonus to know that, like, I had to take, I, I wanted to go start my professional career. I was ready to go to the next level. Um, but of course I wanted to, I know there was, I knew there was unfinished business when it came to our Columbia team and we didn't get a ring. And of course I wanted to win with my boys and my, my best friend and, and for my coach. Um, but at the end of my junior year, we have like exit interviews with our coach, kind of like where we see you next year, your role. And he was like, look, there's nothing I can say here. Like, I know you're going to probably get drafted and there's really nothing more you have to prove in college baseball. So he, he knew, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I love that man. Like he's, he's amazing for this second. Um, even in the off seasons, I, every year I, I live in the New York area in Hoboken, New Jersey, and I go up there and train at Columbia every single day. And all my trainers that were there when I was in college, still let me work out in the weight room and they let me use every facility up there and coach Beretti still hits me ground balls and hits me at fly balls and pitches batting practice to me. So we have an amazing relationship, but yeah, that was, it was a hard decision just in the sense of leaving like my close friends and my coach. But it sounds like he really put your needs ahead of his cause he could have easily been like, well, you should come back, but it sounds like he had your back and said, Hey, look, you're ready. Yeah. A hundred percent. He, he's never, he's never, ever, ever treated any situation that way. Like selfishly, it was always selflessly and what's best for the team, even though that would have been better for the team. If you think about it that way, he, he knew that I was ready and he knew my ultimate goal was to play at the next level and play in the big leagues. So he knew that there's no way I could pass that up with the opportunity I had in front of me. And did you go back to finish your degree? I did, yeah. So I went. Yeah, thank you. I I knew how important that would be to get that just in case and uh, just in case anything happened and or if I didn't make it. And I decided I thought about it and knew that it would be really hard to go back at the end of my career because after not doing any schoolwork for like eight years or 10 years to try to start writing papers again at I knew how difficult that would be. So I actually got drafted, played my summer rookie ball season, and then went right back to school my fall of my senior year. And I did my, I had two semesters left. So I did the first semester. Um, it was an also added advantage that I was still with my, all my team. I just wasn't a part of the team, but I was with them on campus and in the fall. And I lived in the baseball house that year still. And, I just didn't have to go to 8 a.m. conditionings and lifts. It was on me. So that was a nice little added bonus to the side. But um, Yeah, you could sleep in. <laughs> yeah, I could sleep in a little bit more and get more rest. But uh, I went right back that senior year, and then I had to withdraw for spring training in my first full season. And then I went back my fifth year fall to finish. Um, and, again, my teammates that were a year younger than me were there, and my my girlfriend, who was a year younger, or my fiance now, uh, who was a year younger than me, was still there. So I got to go back and be there again and finish my degree. Nice. So the minor league has several steps. It's called a farm system. You might play in a rookie league first, then move up to single A, then double A, and then triple A. So where did you start in the Seattle system? Um, I 
started in the short season rookie advanced level. It was with the Pulaski Mariners in Virginia. It was a culture shock, if we'll just say that. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know that cities like that existed, like at this time. You know, like I, it was like I was in the Civil War era. Like I, there was a gas station and a subway in the town, right? So like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, yeah. So we we lived in a travel lodge, four players, two a room, two beds, and two air mattresses on the ground. And that's how, with two towels, and that's how we, in one bathroom. So that's how we were living. Um, talk about, uh, this is what professional baseball air quotes is. <laughs> this is what I'm doing, right? Um, but they were diehard fans. All 900 people in the town would go to the games every night. Um, and they were very supportive and I had a a very good rookie year. I won the batting title and led the organization in hitting my rookie year. And I was a mid-round draft pick that would have had to produce always. That's the kind of player I was, that I would always have to put up numbers to like continue to move on. And that was like a great first impression going into that system. Mm-hmm. Nice. And how was it switching from aluminum bats to wooden bats? I know you had wooden bats in summer sometimes, but how was that full-time switch? Yeah, I actually, the, the high school league that my high school was in, when we played in-conference games, we actually had to use wood in high school too. So I had kind of, I had been using wood. And then like you said, it, like I said before, in summer ball in college, so I had used wood for, quite a while and I had an idea of like wooden bats and the models and how to hit with that. So it wasn't as big as an adjustment for me because I used it in in years past, but the adjustment was I'd never seen velocity like that before where guys were now throwing 95 to a hundred. I'd never in my life seen anything like that. So that was where an adjustment needed to be made. There's always an adjustment at every level. And once I timed up that velocity, then I, I had a pretty good um, pretty good time at the, at the plate that whole summer. But the wood bath, I, I had used those before. Okay. So you spent seven years in Seattle's system. You, you talked about the team you started on. So can you take me through the rest of the teams and levels that you had been on in Seattle? Yeah, sure. So in, after that rookie year, um, the next year I went and experienced spring training for the first time as a as a 22 year old and it was in peoria arizona in spring training which was was awesome you really get to see every other player in the organization and be around the big league guys too so that was like a really cool experience and then that year in 20 that was 2013 and i played in the low a the low a level clinton lumber kings in clinton iowa another place that isn't quite the city like Boston or New York where I'm from. Um, for 50 minutes outside of our apartment, there were just cornfields. Um, but again, great fans. Like they loved the lumber King. That was like what the town came to every night. So it was like the entertainment. Um, so I played there in, in 2013 for the whole year and had a, another very, very good year. It was like an all-star in the league and, hit over 300 and had 40 doubles and was an organizational all-star again. And again, so I backed up my first year with another good year. And then 14, 2014, 
after spring training, I moved up to the next level to high A in high desert, California and Adelanto, California, the high desert Mavericks, um, in the California league. And I was there for a month and I was doing great again. And then I moved up to double A. So that was a quick jump to double A my, my second full year. And for the first six or seven weeks when I was in double A, I was horrible, horrible. <laughs> and again, I'm sure it takes an adjustment. No, no, for sure. A hundred percent. But instead of letting that adjustment period happen, because I never, I had it failed in the minor league yet. So when I got up there in double A is like a huge, huge jump from a ball. Um, Cause you got guys in double A that have been in the big leagues that um, are like 28, 29 guys, a veteran guy that know how to pitch um, in double A. And I was 20, just turned 23, I think. And I was up there and it was, again, it was like the head games I played it myself where it's like, wow, this is the biggest jump. I have to make an adjustment. And after I think I, the thing I went up there and I started 0 for 10 and immediately I panicked. I was like, Oh my God, I haven't got a hit in 10 at bats. I have to make some kind of physical adjustment. And that was the worst thing I could have done. And then I just grinded through it for six or seven weeks. And I was hitting like 150, 150. I didn't, really ever know like I had struggled before at other levels but it was never that's truly struggling I struggled in my mind where it wasn't 350 where I was, oh, I'm only hitting 280 that this was a real lump where I couldn't figure it out and I was freaking out and I again had that thought like I can't do it at this level that's it I've maxed out I can't hit anymore <laughs> that like the end all be all that's the end of my career um and then slowly, the, the, I have to give the Mariners the benefit, credit, I guess. They didn't move me back down, and they kept playing me because they had some kind of trusted me that I would make the adjustment, um, and I did. So they stuck with me, and the second half of that season, I ended up, the second half, I hit 295, but it was so low that it only averaged out to, like, 230, but they saw that I had figured it out the second half when I was there. So then in 2015, I knew, all right, I can hit in this league. So I went back there in 2015 to Jackson and double A Jackson, Tennessee and, um, killed it. I was the best hitter in the league for the first half of the season. And I started in the all-star game, but, um, I missed half the season, second half of that season was my first like significant injury. I uh, check swung and I like felt a, a pop in my hand and I uh, actually tore a ligament in my hand. So I had to miss. Ouch. Yeah, it was, it was just very tough because that was like my breakout year in my mind. And I kind of all figured it out. Even when I would get out, it would be a line drive. Like I, I was, I was on everything and, and I was actually about to go up to AAA before I got hurt, but but Horrible you know what? what I, yeah, it's, it was it was bad, but it's part of it's part of athletics and it's part of people's careers, and they you know, things happen. You just have to face adversity and overcome it. So I went to our Arizona our spring training facility to rehab for like the next two and a half months, and I was doing physical therapy and my progression to try to get back to playing and. It didn't heal in time 
So I ended the year on the DL on the disabled list for, since June, the end of June. So it was bad timing, like you said, and it was it was a, it was it was tough to deal with. But um, I went to that fall back to Columbia and started training, and I got a call in October, and I was invited to go play in the Arizona Fall League, which is like the most prestigious off-season league that all the top prospects play in. So they thought highly enough of me and my performance in that first half of the season that they invited me to go play in the fall league. Um, so I played, I got there right before Halloween and played for like two and a half or three weeks in that league. And I held my own there. And then, um, going into 2016, I got invited to big league spring training. Um, so that was another huge step in my career where I was invited as a big leaguer to go as a non-roster invite to spring training to be in camp with the, the, the big league team and the big league coaches um, and manager. So that was, it was amazing to share a locker room with Robinson Cano, Felix Hernandez, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Seeger. I mean, I felt finally like I belonged at that level, you know, at the top level. Um, yeah. And I had a good spring training there, a good showing, and went to AAA to start that year. And that was where I kind of – I was the young guy on the AAA team because the Mariners were in a position to win right now. Instead of rebuilding, they had the team that they wanted to win with right now. So they filled their AAA team up with older veteran guys that had big league experience just in case guys got hurt at the big league level so they could have – players brought up that had already been there before. So it was like a safety blanket almost so they could save themselves. They didn't have the, they didn't want to bring up like young rookies to see what they could do for their first time in the big leagues when they were trying to, they held every game as it was like a playoff game. They needed to win every game. So we had an old veteran team in AAA my year in 2016. And, and I was told by the manager that, Hey, you're gonna. We need to have these veterans keep playing. You're the young guy here. This is how it is in AAA. The first year, you're gonna like play two or three times a week and pinch hit coming off the bench. So I was like, I never experienced that either before. Uh, I've always played every day, so it was it was tough because it was adjusting to a new level, also while playing three times a week and a good week. So mm-hmm. it was tough, and that's not really a game baseball where you can just not hit every day and like be up on things. So it was like every time that I would play and I wouldn't play for three days and I'd play the fourth day and it was like, I was out of whack. I had to try to figure it out and feel comfortable back in the box. It was a tough year. And, but that's the position I was in. And every single time that a guy at AAA would get called up or injured or traded, and I would step in and play for a good 10 days in a row where we only had 10 guys, I would start to hit and feel good. And then on that 11th day, um, the Mariners would like trade for somebody or claim somebody off waivers or sign somebody. And then they'd go right in front of me and I'd go back into like my bench roll. So it was a year where it was frustrating. It was frustrating, but it was another experience that I, an adversity that I went through and it was another thing that I experienced you know, had to just part of the game. And, um, it was a very, and then at the end of that year, I was 
doing well for that situation that I've been in. And then we claimed another guy and some guy in the big league team got healthy, came off the DL and they had to send another guy down. And at the end of 2016 for like two and a half weeks, they sent me back to double A. And that was another one of these crazy challenges that I'd never been demoted um, mm. and set down to a level for no really, no, not really performance based. It was just kind of like they said, like you've shown that you can be at this level, but we're, you know, the position we're in, we have to try to win. We have to claim this guy and this guy has to play and there's no more playing time for you right now. So finish the year in double A and, and I couldn't, make I couldn't do it mentally for that like three weeks it was really tough I wasn't sleeping I was thinking like oh I like got demoted I've been written off in their minds and I had a really bad three weeks when I was there it was bad back in double a the year I just the year before I just beat was an all-star in that league but that's how the game of baseball is so yeah, I wanted to that such next... a mental game too oh yeah it's so mental Yeah, I knew I had the talent. Physically, it's all from the neck up at that level, uh, how you can make adjustments and how you can handle it mentally. So um, it's another first experience for me, and it it was an adjustment I had to make. And then going into 2017, again, I started the year. I had a very, very good spring training and started the year back in AAA. Um, But the, the farm director told me right before we left, broke camp and went to our team. He said, Hey, you're, you earned the way back on the triple A team, but I just want to, I think you've earned the right to know that you're like the last guy. Again, you're starting as the last guy on the roster. So if we, and you know how we sign guys and we trade for guys. So if we do get that guy or we trade for another player, you're, I'm just letting you know, you might have to like go up and down a couple times this year, back double A and triple A. I said, all right, like I'm mentally ready for it this time. Um, so that's what that year was. I started here in AAA and I was there until the end of May. And then I went down to AA from June until like the end of July. And then I went back up to AAA for half of the month of August. And then I finished again in AA at the end of August. And so that was another another first going up and down all year. But I had a very good season. And then I realized, I saw the writing on the wall and the Mariners kind of like the new GM kind of wrote me off and I wasn't in their plans moving forward. So in 2018, they told me, you're just going to be in double A the whole year. So, and it was my free agent year the next year. So I knew how important it was for me to perform, even though it was going to be a grind mentally, knowing that no matter what you do, you're not getting promoted, but we're not going to get rid of you because you're a good player. So we're going to use you to to be in double A. Uh, and I had a good year. So, but that was another challenge the Mariner to be known, known that you're not really, you're not an option, uh, but still have to go play like every day and perform for yourself. It was tough. Whatever. Yeah. Sounds it. Yeah. But that's how it shakes out all the time. A lot of, play, every player goes through that at some point and that's what happens. So that's my time with the Mariners. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like a roller coaster. It was, it was. Yeah, but a really successful seven years in the long run. I mean, you made it all the way to AAA. I mean, mm-hmm. I know you had to go back and forth, but mm-hmm. still no, very impressive. Sure. Thank you. No, I, it was a good career, a good mar- good run with the Mariners for sure. 
And then in the fall of 2018, you signed a free agent deal with the New York Mets. That right. had to be pretty exciting to be back on the East Coast, right? Yeah, it was it was so awesome. Finally had this like feeling of being free almost and like having a new start, this excitement with a new team, new colors, new players, new coaches. Um back on the East Coast like you said and the team it seemed like a perfect fit. I signed early last year before Thanksgiving and seemed like a perfect fit going into a new situation and I I was ready to make a good impression. I went there and a couple of weeks after I signed, the guy who signed me actually got demoted and they had a new farm director who didn't sign me and had no really ties to me. So that was like, and then they hired a new GM and they went in a different direction and they started signing all these veteran players again, kind of like the situation I've been oh, with. No. Mar- well, again, <laughs> it happens, but I went there, went to spring training and it was in Florida, Port St. Lucie. And I uh, had a very good spring training um, and did well. But I, but they signed a bunch of veteran guys, and they were trying to win now like the Mariners were, and they went in a different direction. So I had started, and I went in double-A again last year in the Eastern League, but in Binghamton, New York. So it was much closer than I'd ever been to my family and my, my fiancé. So... It was it was nice to be on the East Coast um, for, for finally, not with weather because I didn't miss that weather. But yeah, I don't blame <laughs> you. <laughs> but it was good to be over on this side of the country. And you're about to enter your second year with the Mets, right? Well, in June, I actually I got released by the Mets in June last year. So oh, yeah. So I had injured myself last off season. Um, and try to play all year through an injury, and I do that every year. All athletes do, but it was this was a different one. I don't know why it was never getting better, and I didn't I didn't perform that well for the first couple of months. And the Mets cut ties. It didn't work out with them, and that's fine. It's part of the business, part of the game. They released me pretty early, like the first week of June, and then I went and played in the Atlantic League for uh, the Somerset Patriots in independent baseball just to wait to hopefully get signed by another team. And I played like 11 or 12 games there, and it it got like the injury got worse. Um, So I ended up – I haven't played since mid-July last year. Um, I had that injury, and I had to address the injury uh, because it was a core injury, and it was affecting everything I did in baseball. I couldn't throw, run, or hit without feeling it. So that is a pretty good sign that something has to be done to fix it. So um, I ended up getting surgery for the sports hernia um, in October. I tried an injection first and it didn't really work. So I got the surgery, but that was three months ago now. And I've been doing the rehab and the progressions and ready to go. I'm healthy again. And I'm, I'm a free agent again. Um, so I'm just waiting to hear from a couple teams and, Hopefully, I'll be signing with a new team in a relatively short time. My agent's doing work. So it's been nice. a tough, it was a tough 2019. Um, but you overcome and you move on and you put your head down and keep moving forward. And you st- still try to accomplish that lifelong dream. Not over yet. Yeah, no, absolutely not. 
I know it's a bummer to get released, but do you have excitement in a way because you are going to get a new fresh start? Uh, hopefully, you know, you, you never know. You, you never know what's going to come. Um, it doesn't look good to get released and have an injury to go on top of it. So teams are like, wait a minute, like what, is he okay? Like what's going on? It's kind of a question mark, but my career numbers like speak for themselves. So hopefully a team gives me just an opportunity is all I want. But yeah, yeah like that's all you need. I just need an opportunity and it'll be another fresh start. So that would be, that'd be great. Yeah. It is a little bit exciting. I'm just eager to find out which team that will be. And when does spring training start? Um, big league spring training starts the third week of February and the minor league camp starts the second week of March. So I'll probably be going the second week of March. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you got a little bit more time. Yeah. I got a couple months. Yep. And in the meantime, you're training at Columbia? Yes. Okay, nice. Coach still pitching to you? <laughs> yep. We got a good, we got a good uh, off-season crew up there. A cu- couple players from Columbia after I was there had gotten drafted, and they still live around the city and work out up there. And, uh, yeah, he comes around, and we work out with each other, and it, it's a good little thing we got going on. So, Dario, we've talked a lot about your impressive baseball career. But I think the most impressive thing you do isn't even on the baseball diamond, but off of it. You are a lead ambassador for the nonprofit Mission Stadiums for Multiple Sclerosis. Can you tell me about the nonprofit, why you got involved, and what being an ambassador entails? Sure. Um, so my mother in 1998 was diagnosed with uh, MS, multiple sclerosis. Um, and she had a form of it called um, relapse remitting MS. So she had her first episode. I was like seven years old and she didn't, we didn't know it this young. When I was this young, I didn't know, but she woke up blind in her left eye one morning and uh, went through the various testing and they came back where she was diagnosed with MS. And um, so the, her sight came back over a week or two and over the next like 17 years, she looked completely healthy. Like you would never know she was sick. She felt great. Um, but randomly she would have an episode, they call them, um, where her, maybe her left foot would go dead or like her left hand would go dead and it would come back in like a couple weeks. And then after like year 17, uh, right by the time where actually she had one of her worst episodes right before my graduation from college where I walked, uh, like stress really brings it on and anxiety. So the episode, um, she had a very bad episode. I didn't even know cause I was just like consumed with that day of like getting my degree and in, in the diploma and walking across the stage. But I guess, um, it was a bad episode. And, and at, after that one was really in 2013 or 2014 was where it stopped kind of bouncing back all the way. And when the symptoms just started to become more progressive. So then it, it turned into secondary progressive MS. Um, it's gotten pretty bad where she can't really walk. Her left leg is completely dead and she needs like a cane and like a walker to go out anywhere. So, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to use my, any platform I had. And like, I thought by this point, I would have a bit bigger platform in the big leagues, but I always 
planned on using my platform to spread awareness and try to raise money for a potential cure or for hospitals or to have research done for new progressive forms of medicine like stem cell therapy to treat these diseases. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I was in spring training, and I, again, I, I knew I wanted to do it eventually at some point. And I remember watching a story. Now, my mom sent to me, actually. It was one of the award shows. I don't know which one it was, but on the red carpet, Thelma Blair, who's an actress, who has that mask. She was the first time that she kind of came back out and she kind of owned her MS, where she walked down the red carpet with her cane, and she did an interview in one of the potential things that MS can um, affect is your voice. So she was having a tough time talking, but she was, like, saying how proud she was. It's a struggle, but she wouldn't let the disease beat her. And right when I saw that, I don't know what, it, it just, like, inspired me. I said, I'm done waiting to make the big leagues like i've waited long enough i'm with a new team i was thinking new york is like this that's like where the number one ms doctor is in new york where they have a huge center a research center i was thinking you know what i'm just gonna start this so i started after i saw that clip of selma blair i literally just using the positives of social media i just reached out on every platform to the um, National MS Society and DM them and message them and Twitter message them and Facebook message them. And within two days, they all got back to me. I explained what I, I said, I had no idea what to, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something. And I knew it was very important to me and my family because my mother was such a crucial part of where I was to this day. She always supported us and, gave us everything we ever needed to succeed. Um, and they all got back to me. Actually, one person that I went to college with, she was on the softball team. She was a couple years older than me. She posted something on Instagram where she did the MS walk to the top. It's in New York every year. It's during spring training, so I'm not able to go. But I, right during this time, I texted her. And I reached out and said, I asked her, asked her about it. Actually, one of her best friends, she was on a team where one of her best friends at 28 was diagnosed with MS. Um, so she has a team who walks with her, and that team raises money for her cause, and that's how they generate money at the walk from the top. So she was part of the team. She put me in contact with the girl, her friend who has MS, and I started emailing back and forth with her. I had a conversation with her on the phone one day after spring train after practice, and we talked about what I was thinking about doing. And she actually connected me with the CEO, the founder of MS for MS, Sam Greenberg. Um, she said, look, like there's so many, it's awesome what you want to do, but it's such a broad spectrum, like the National MS Society. If you are in a baseball avenue and it's right up your alley, he's a, he has a specific nonprofit where they go to different stadiums in like, different um, venues and hold events there. So it's perfect. He would love you. So he, she gave me his contact info. We set up a meeting, uh, a phone call, and we talked and we hit it off right away because Sam's brother actually played in the big leagues 
Um, so he had a deep connection with baseball and he played in college division two level and there he was connected to MS. Their grandmother had MS and uh, passed away. So he was using this as a platform again to start this charity, something that really meant a lot to him and his family. And um, it was the same reason it hit even closer to home for me with, with my mom and, and we hit it off right away. And, and within two weeks, my sister was it. she played softball at Bryant University in Rhode Island. And she did a one-year NBA program. And while she was there, she was the assistant coach for the team. So she was still on Bryant's campus. And uh, I contacted her, put her in touch with Sam. And in two weeks, we had an MS day at Bryant for their homecoming wow. weekend. Yeah, for, for, for their senior day. It was their senior day. So we set up the first and they raised like $5,000 with two weeks notice. So it was a huge success. Um, and, and it made, it was great. It was, it was awesome. So this whole last year, Sam and I had been discussing with the team of MS warriors and the people that are the, the awesome people that I've got to meet and work with, with MS for MS. When we set up these events, during the spring, I was in baseball season, but I was posting. I was very active on social media with it to try to spread awareness that way. And um, we actually held a, an MS day at the park for the Binghamton Rubble Ponies before I got released. So they had it there, and my mom came, and we raised, I think, seven or $8,000. And it was awesome. Like, all the people that any person that I brought up, brought it up to, to have an event or hold an event, they were so helpful. And it was, they were saying it was such a good cause and they were completely backing the whole idea and made it all work. So it's been something that, something that I'm, I'm proud of. And it's something that I can make an impact with using the gift that I have with a platform because of baseball and try to raise awareness and raise money for, uh, you know, a great, a great cause. Um, and, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for her to be on board, my mom, because she, and this happens a lot, especially when it first starts getting bad, like the symptoms, she's a very proud person and she tried to be private with it and didn't really want it to be broadcast always. And she's still kind of embarrassed of of it a little bit and she's gotten better. Oh, she shouldn't and I, be embarrassed. No, no, not at all. But I, she's just, I just talked to her. She didn't ever want it to be viewed as like, Oh, feel sorry for me or whatever. But I talked yeah. to her for a long time and said how important it was for me and for my brother and my sister and for everyone else that's dealing with this disease to spread awareness this way. And I, it would end up being great and it would help. And there would be different avenues we could go down because of this moving forward, even with her treatments and medicine and not stuff like that. So she agreed. And when I posted the huge first Instagram post, I said, once it's out there, like it's not going to ever be back. And she was like, okay, like she agreed. And I posted it and I got amazing feedback right away. There were, there were some people that reached out that I had no idea that the disease touched them. Like a couple, like one of my college teammates, well, I was close with his aunt had it and I had no idea. And I don't think he had any idea. My mom had it. So it's just, and he was like, thank you for being like the representative of this. And it's, it's really helpful. You're doing a great thing. So it was, it was great. It was, it was great, positive feedback. And they actually 
in December, at the end of the year, they, uh, I wasn't able to make it, but our team went to Johns Hopkins, um, the Johns Hopkins Center. It was to donate the check that we raised. We raised $20,000 this past year, and it doubled from 2018. Wow. So we're moving in the right direction. we got big plans um, for 2020, as always, with the unbelievable partner and and president and CEO, Sam Greenberg. He's, I'm always in contact with him, and I'm excited moving forward where we're going to go from here. Yeah, all good stuff. That's awesome. And I really admire you and Sam for your work in trying to create money to find a cure for MS. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's very important. Um, again, what I mentioned when we were 12, way back in the conversation, this perspective uh, that you gain, that you get when you're, you mature and you get older, where it's like, all right, you know what? My struggles go for extend to an 0 for 4 game on a baseball field where so many people are going through way more trying times and more important things in their lives. When you take a step back and you use something like that to make a positive impact for others that are dealing with very serious things in their lives and more important things in a baseball game, I can tell you that. So especially yeah, if someone so close to me is my mom who's it wasn't wasn't for her and my dad, I would never ever be close to where I am today. So it's very important yeah, to me. Yeah, and it's so nice that you're giving back. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely thinking of your mom. Oh, thank you so much. And I'd love to donate to the cause. Um, is there a website for MS for MS that yep. that take money? Absolutely. So it's it's just MS for the number MS dot org. And that's the main website, and you can give donations off of that. It's pretty easy to navigate. There's a like a menu that you touch the top right corner. It's like a menu bar drops down, and donations is one of them. So, all right. Well, after the podcast, I'm definitely going to go and donate money, and I encourage everyone listening to do the same. I appreciate that so much. Thank you very much. Of course. And Dario. You've mentioned that you're engaged, and it's a recent, it's a recent thing, right? Yeah, November 2nd of this past year. Oh, congratulations. Tell me about the proposal. I love the proposal stories. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, we, this little background, we met in college. She's a year younger than me. She transferred from Fordham to Columbia her sophomore year, and I was a junior. and we started dating my fall, the fall into the winter of my junior year. And I kind of knew I was getting drafted. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, I don't really want to go into this minor league life with a girlfriend, but I really, really like her. And like, we'll see where this goes. We agreed. No one, neither of us knew what it would entail. The ups and the downs and the distance and <laughs> the, the no money from the minor leagues and the grind, you know. So, yeah. But. We've had our ups and downs, and we've been there for each other. She's been there for me like crazy. Smart rock during everything, um, and especially this past year, which was the most trying time of my life. Where I, I got released, but I right before the day I left for spring training, I lost my grandfather. He like he had a heart attack one morning kind of sudden and he was the one who was the bat boy for Ted Williams. He kind of like taught me, he taught me how to play baseball and he, uh, 
who was who I always envisioned like being in the crowd for my debut and I didn't quite make it. You know, it was just a tough oh. a tough year and then it didn't work out. Yeah, I'm so sorry. Oh thanks. That's okay. But um so she was there during my trying times. Uh and she helped me get through those the the darker times that I went through like this last few months. Um and it was amazing. Like she's been there for me every step of the way, ups and downs since my junior year of college. And I've known for years now that I've wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. It was just a matter of having the means to do it and the stability with this lifestyle where there's always coming and going in season and off season and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't want to wait anymore. Um, so we went to, we all, we went, we had this, our first date in college was at this restaurant near campus. And we always went there. It was like our, weekend thing like if we got through another week of classes we would like go there every thursday night and celebrate kind of like and go to dinner there so that was like our spot and uh, we always talked about since leaving we got to get back there we got to get back there we you know we haven't been back to vnt it's called vnt vinnie and tony's restaurant um so i i knew that that was going to be this spot um i had it all planned i I said, we, we're going to go back. Like, we have to go back. We've been saying it for five years, and we're never going back. Let's just go this weekend, and I don't care what you say. We're going, even though it's a hike to get up there. Like, we're going to go because we just will, won't end up going another year, and I just want to go back. Like, okay, fine. I made the reservation. I went in there, talked to the people, um, the manager, and he was completely – he loved it. It's great for the restaurant. It's great that – I like considered them for that huge night and how important it was to us. So he set it all up. I, I talked to my family, her family, and our closest friends in the area. And uh, we were going there that night. Um, she knew. <laughs> she she had an inkling because it was just so like, no, we're we're going to the, we're going tonight. She's like, why are you so you know why are you so set on going tonight? You're not gonna are you. No, no, no. I had to lie a little bit, but <laughs> we still turned the corner and got in there behind there's little, like this, the room separators, they like blocked off half the restaurant with like the dividers and, uh, around the dividers, everybody was there and I was on my knee behind her. So, and, uh, she said yes. And the ring's still on her finger. So as of now, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> nice nice yeah, it, was, it was great it was it was great yeah oh that's so sweet mm-hmm. i wish you guys the best of luck thank you thank you so much so dario i've had a great time talking with you i like to end the podcast with a few fun questions how does that sound sounds great shoot all right so you're recently engaged as we just said do you guys have a honeymoon spot picked out <laughs> I don't know. We don't even have a wedding planned yet. We're thinking somewhere sometime in 2021. So we got some planning to do in the next year and a half or two years. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have a dream honeymoon in mind? Huh. Not really. So it's going to be, we'll decide together, but ultimately it'll be her decision because happy wife, happy life. Right. So I want to, <laughs> I want to, do that for her and I'll go I'm sure it'll be beautiful wherever we end up going but I haven't really thought about that yet no all right 
What is your favorite movie? Oof. There's a couple of them I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I love Superbad. That's one of those movies that anytime it's on, I'll sit there and watch it to the end. Um, classic. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, classic. Superbad. Wedding Crashers, again, another one. If it's on in the middle of the day, I'll just watch it. And same with, like, Step Brothers. Um, just the classic funny movies. Um, yeah, I'll just go with those three at the top. All right, three classics. I like them. Yeah, yeah. All right, last question. What is a talent that you have that not many people know about? Hmm. That's a tough question. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of, it's funny. I'm kind of good at impressions. Like I'll break out an impression. It has to be off the cuff though. Like it's gotta be an environment where it's organic. It's gotta come out organically like that. Um, but I'm pretty good. So at I can't impressions. ask you to do one now. No, I don't really. Oh, you're killing <laughs> <I'm>, me. <laughs> well, if I, 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 stated that because it has to be just like out of the blue and I knew you were going to ask me to do one, but I don't really, it's just kind of like a spur of the moment thing, but yeah, I get everybody to laugh pretty. I think I'm pretty funny with my friends and kind of, I can be a clown kind of sometimes with my buddies and make them laugh with that kind of, with with some good impressions. All right. I'll have to take your word for it. Use my imagination. (laughs) Okay, good. Dario, where can the listeners find you if they want to reach out? Okay, so I have my social media. Um, my Instagram is Dario Pisano 25 And I think my handle on Twitter is the same, at Dario Pisano 25 And then just on Facebook, too, you just search my name and I'll be on Facebook too. I have all those three social media platforms. So follow me, reach out, whatever. Great. Dario, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I had a good time reminiscing about all the great, great time in my baseball career and on and off the field. It was good. Thank you so much. Of course. And good luck in the coming year. I hope you get signed soon. And good luck with all your work for MS for MS. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. I appreciate all the well wishes. All right, everyone. That was my episode with Dario Pisano. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was really cool hearing about his baseball journey so far. I encourage everyone to donate to the MS for MS organization. Every little bit helps. I'll be back next week to speak with another outstanding athlete.